Kia ora. I am Lockie, and I'm going to read the Bible for us today. But uh, before we do that, I'll just start with prayer. Father God, uh, we thank you that we can gather together tonight to read your word. and pray that as we read it and study it, um, that you will you know, give us soft hearts, uh, ears to listen, um, and eyes to read, and yeah, that we'll be able to hear what you're trying to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together to, together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two Drushma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From who do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offence, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and, it, and you will find a four drushma coin. Take it and give it to Give it to them for my tax and yours.
Thanks, Lockie. Kia ora, everyone. Uh, my name's Dave. I'm a, I'm a student minister here at Night Church at City on a Hill. Uh, as we come into this chapter, let's um, pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible. We thank you that you speak to us through it. We thank you that uh, you've given us this passage for us to dig deep into and to really bask in uh, tonight. Would you use it not just to inform us, uh, but to change us uh, as we see your son more clearly? Amen. Uh, catching a glimpse of the end, it helps, doesn't it? Um, our boy, our, our oldest boy turned eight a few weeks ago, um, and his aunts and uncles, they pulled together and they got me a international space station. You should see a picture come up. Uh, I may let Theo play with it a little bit. Um, but th- this thing's complex, right? There's hundreds of pieces of Lego, and they're all in these little bags, and you don't know where they go, and you make mistakes, but what is going to keep us going? It's the glimpse of the end, right? It's as you first hold the box in your hand and you see the image, the finished image on it, and you're like, yes. That's just a box at this point, right? It's just a box. Inside it is a whole heap of plastic bags with tiny plastic pieces in them and these booklets with instructions that you know that you're going to have to kind of rewind and and go, where did I go wrong 25 steps ago uh, to fit this in? You know that that's going to happen. So what is going to keep you going? It's the glimpse, because it's not just a box. It's the box that shows you where everything's going. It's the glimpse of the end that will mean that you carry on. And as we pick up in Matthew's gospel tonight, the disciples, they need a glimpse of the end. Okay, their heads are swimming. Peter's come out and he's said, you are the Messiah. They've recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, but not not what they're expecting. He's heading to his death and he will rise again, he says. And if they will follow Jesus, they have to deny themselves. They need to take up their cross. They're lost and confused. For many, this is going to cost them their lives. They need a glimpse of the end. And so today, in chapter 17, Jesus takes his closest followers and he says to them, let me show you. Okay, let me give you a hint of the spiritual. Let me give you a peek into who I am. Let me give you a glimpse of the end. Because this glimpse of the end, that is what will get them through. Now we're going to work through this passage under two headings. And in your handout that you got as you came in the door... Uh, Firstly, a glimpse of Jesus' glory, and secondly, a peek at Jesus' purpose. So firstly, a glimpse of Jesus' glory. And as we join Peter, James, and John in this little excursion up a mountain, and, and as we watch with them, Jesus is transfigured. Now, transfigured, we don't use that word much slash ever, right? It's not like we go to our mechanic um, or to the scooter shop because we can't afford a car and we say, can you look at the transfigurator here and fix it? It's not like we go to the hairdresser and say, can you work some magic, do some transfiguration? But the idea here is it's what we call metamorphosis. Okay, this is the, the word, where the word metamorphosis comes from. It's the transformation, complete transformation as we go from the chrysalis 
to the beautiful and vibrant and radiant butterfly's wings. Okay, and Peter, James, and John, they're seeing all of this. Was it they're seeing Jesus' true self as they catch a glimpse of his glory? Will you read with me from verse one? After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. See, Jesus is giving his disciples a glimpse of his true, his full and glorious self. This isn't a party trick. This isn't his new, improved look. This is who he really is. But what's happened is it's been covered. It's been veiled it's been hidden in his humanity. Okay, Philippians chapter two helps us out a little bit here. Should we some verses on the screen? It says, starting from verse five, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay, it says that Jesus made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Jesus took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. That's this idea that as Christians we call it incarnation. It's, it's God becoming man. Because Jesus is God. The disciples, they've figured out that Jesus is the Messiah, but they still don't have the whole picture. They've seen him heal and cast out demons. They've heard him teach with authority. They've been there as he looks into people's hearts and minds. He's walked on water. He's calmed storms. He's fed thousands. And the disciples, they're starting to work out. They're starting to work out who he is, but they aren't fully there yet. And so the picture is filled in a little bit more as Moses and Elijah arrive on the scene for a little catch up with Jesus. Come with me to verse three. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. But the thing is, this isn't this kind of get-together, this reunion of God's kind of three greatest go-to guys. Okay, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. That's not, it's not what's happening here. Moses and Elijah are here because they've been here before. They've climbed to the top of mountains before to meet with God. And here they are again on top of a mountain meeting with God again, with Jesus. This is what God's confirming as he speaks from the cloud. Did you notice verse five? While he was still speaking, that is Peter, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. See, Jesus is God's son. He's the son that God loves. 
He's the son with whom God is well pleased. And just as he did at Jesus' baptism, God is saying, this is him. Do you see? This is him. This is the Messiah, all right. Peter was right about this, but this whole experience that they are going through at the moment, it's breaking down everything that Peter knows about the Messiah. And it's building it back brick by brick, putting Jesus right there in the center. Jesus, God the Son, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, right there in the center. This is the glimpse of the end. Okay, this is the glimpse the disciples need to get them through as they deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Okay, they need to see the real Jesus. And today, Peter, James, and John, they've caught a glimpse of him. And so have we. But there's another thing that Matthew wants us to see as he kind of puts together this record of what's happened, as he invites us to join Peter, James, and John on the mountaintop. He's giving us a peek at Jesus' purpose. Because as Matthew writes all this down, he puts these little signposts in. He puts little pointers to say, this transformation, this transfiguration, it's not just a glimpse of Jesus' glory. I mean, it certainly is that. But it's also a peek at his purpose to bring rest and rescue. So let's look at them together. Because each of these little signposts, okay, they're easy to skip over. But once you see them together, they're like a flare that lights up the night sky. And the first two are in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with them with him. Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. First up, Jesus is bringing rest. You see, throughout his gospel, Matthew, he's usually not concerned with the passage of time. And as we hold the gospel accounts up, there's this kind of general passage of time, right? We start with Jesus' birth, and we finish with his death and his resurrection and his ascension. So there's this general arc but in the middle, there's all these different stories that, as you look at the different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't all line up. They don't put them in the right order. They don't go from this one to this one to this one every time because they're telling a story about who Jesus is. And so uh, when Matthew here says, after six days, he's pointing at something. He's pointing at the pattern of six and one that God has baked into creation. Okay, work and then rest. Six days of creation and then rest. Six days of work and then Sabbath rest. Six years and then a Sabbath year. Six Sabbath years and the year of Jubilee. Do you see? Rest is coming. That's why he's put the six days there. And that's our first signpost. Jesus is bringing rest. Second, Jesus is mounting a rescue. I mean, why does Jesus take Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain? Why just the three? There's 12 disciples. Did they gather around, draw straws? You're coming on the camping trip with Jesus. You're not. No, mountains and witnesses, they, they act as markers in the Bible of key points. And what Matthew's doing here is he's pointing both backward and forwards. Okay, backwards to Moses. Because in Exodus 24, Moses takes three witnesses up to the top of Mount Sinai, 
right? So this is after the great rescue where God's people have been brought out of slavery in Egypt. And then Matthew's looking forward to the cross because in Matthew 27, on a different hill, on Golgotha, three witnesses, there's three women this time, they watch Jesus. Yes, do you see the pattern? Three people, Peter, James, and John, the three witnesses that Moses takes, and the three women at the cross. Matthew's linking these two great events, and he's putting them in this record of the transfiguration for us to see, because Jesus is mounting a rescue. The third, Jesus is dealing with our sin. Come back with me to verse 3 again. Uh, Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So we've already seen the significance of Moses and Elijah in that they've met with God before on top of mountains. But they also act as figureheads in the Old Testament for the law and the prophets. See, Moses, he's the law guy. God gives him the law to hand on to God's people. And the law, it tells God's people how to live. But it also points to our desperate state of sin as we look at the law and we go, can't do it, stuffed it up again, made a mess of it. Now, Elijah, he's the prophet guy, right? So prophets, they speak for God. But they also point to when God himself will come back and deal with our sin. You see, Matthew's showing us that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. This is our third sign, okay? Jesus has come to deal with our sin. The fourth, Jesus is the Son of God. Look with me at verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. So Matthew's not including this as financial advice, right? End of financial year's coming. Don't bother with filling out those forms, IRD. It's all good. See, the text here, it's for the upkeep of the temple. Or, you know what Jesus knows the temple as? My father's house. See, the point is, the kids don't pay for the repairs on dad's house. And this is our fourth sign. Jesus is the son of God. That is why he's exempt. The fifth sign is that Jesus is how we know God. Okay, this is what's going on with mustard seeds and throwing mountains or moving mountains. Let me show you. Okay, the disciples, they can't drive out a demon, we see in this little exchange. And then from verse 19, they come to Jesus. Let's read it together. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, 
You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Is Jesus giving us a blank check here? You know, all we need, it's enough faith. And if we've got enough faith, we can do anything we want. Even something as ridiculous and pointless as saying to that mountain, just kind of over there a bit, thank you very much. Maybe you've been told that before, because I have. If I have enough faith, I will be healed from my arthritis. If I have enough faith, then I'll never be in financial need. If I have enough faith, I'll never have sick family ever again. Have you been told that? Just name it and claim it. Just blab it and grab it. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Absolutely not. And if you've ever been told that, then I'm really sorry. Because where it takes us is a really awful place. It says, my lack of faith, my lack of faith is the problem. It's the cause of all of my problems. It's soul crushing, isn't it? It's faith destroying. And the Bible has a name for this kind of teaching too. Do you know what it is? Utter evil. So if you've been told that before, I'm really sorry. Because it isn't the teaching of the Bible. It isn't the way of Jesus. It isn't a promise that we've been given. Because this passage, in the light of the rest of the Bible, in the context of the whole of God's Word, Jesus, He isn't just talking about any mountain. He has one very specific mountain in mind. That's why this little story, it's sandwiched between the transfiguration and the temple text. You see, Jesus has in mind the mountain that the temple sits on. Why? Because it has served its purpose. Now that we have Jesus, now that we have God's son, he is the place we go to meet with God. He is the sacrifice for sins once and for all. The temple and its mountain, they've served their purpose because Jesus is here. And Jesus says the same thing a couple of chapters over in chapter 21, and it's on the screen. Starting from verse 21, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what is done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. But, but here, it's actually abundantly clear as you look at what's going on, right? Because Jesus, he's just been welcomed into Jerusalem as a king. And he's gone to the temple and he's overthrown it. He's thrown the moneylenders out. And then he curses the national symbol of Israel, the fig tree. And he says, if you just have faith, if you have faith so small as a mustard seed, faith in me, you don't need the temple. Just, you can grab the temple and you can throw it into the sea. In fact, why stop with the temple? Grab the whole mountain, throw it into the sea because we don't need it because Jesus is here. It's like holding on to the temple, right? It's like holding on to a fax machine. Do you know what a fax machine is? It's kind of like when you send a WhatsApp message, 
right? But actually, you need a box the size of a suitcase, and you send it in black and white, and every time you send it, the quality gets worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, your grandparents use one of these things. Okay, you don't need one anymore. It served its purpose. That's the fifth sign. Jesus is how we know God. This is my purpose, Jesus says. I am the place you meet God. I am God the Son. I am dealing with your sin. I am rescuing you and I'm bringing rest. So what do we make of this? Have you seen Jesus clearly? Have you caught the glimpse of the end? Have you seen him in full, vibrant, and radiant color? Or are you looking at a pencil sketch? We're still a fax. Whether you've just started looking into Jesus, or whether you've been following him for years, this passage asks us, have we seen him? Have we caught a glimpse of him in his full glory, or are we missing part of the story? As you read through the Gospels, you can see many different sides to Jesus, can't you? Miracle worker, crowd drawer, prophet and preacher, compassionate and gentle, witty and quick on his feet, rebuking leaders of the day, comforting the down and out. maybe Maybe you're convinced of the historical Jesus, but you've missed that he's the glorious son of God, that he's the one who brings rescue and rest? Or have you put him down and written him off as a great figure of history? You know, kind of like Moses and Elijah. Surely if we see nothing else today, we need to see that Jesus is more. He is God himself in all of his glory, come to bring rescue and rest Can you see that? Maybe you're seeing that for the first time. It just pulls back that veil and lets us see beyond the humanity. He's shown us all of his glory. It's just a glimpse, right? He still has work to do. He's still journeying to the cross where he'll lay down his life in my place and in your place. But what an amazing glimpse. And to see his purpose, his purpose to bring rescue and rest for you and for me. What is it that stops you? What is it that stops you from taking that little step, putting your faith in him? Just faith so small as a mustard seed. Because if we've seen him, this is the glimpse of the end, right? This is what will carry us through whatever highs and lows life throws at us as we do that. Shouldn't we be listening to the words that came from the cloud as Jesus transfigures? Did you catch it in verse five? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How does it finish? Listen to him. Listen to him. And it's often we're like Peter, aren't we? Or I am. Peter sees Moses and Elijah. He sees Jesus transfigured. What does he want to do? He wants to do something. 
He's like, I know, let's build some huts. No, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him about his path to Jerusalem, about his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. Listen to him, his final cry as he dies on the cross. Paying the price for his life for our sins. Listen to him after rising from the dead where he says, I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. And he tells us to go to every nation with the glorious news of who he is and what he offers. Rescue and rest. Surely if we've caught even the smallest glimpse of Jesus in his glory today, surely that's enough to draw our ears. Surely it's enough for us to listen to him and to orient our whole lives around what he says. Surely. Let's pray together that that would be the case. Father, thank you for inviting us on the mountaintop today, along with Peter, James, and John, to catch a glimpse of the end, to catch a glimpse of the magnificence and the glory of your son, Jesus, your precious son whom you love and with whom you are well pleased, your precious son who has brought rescue and rest. Father, we praise you because he has invited us to know you because he has dealt with my sin. Please help us to listen to him. Please help us to orient our entire lives around what he says. In his name we pray. Amen.